The focus of Good Friday is really we are going to reflect on the death of Christ. So I don't have a message so much as a reflection. I'm going to walk us through several elements of the death of Christ, the process of the trial and the rest and so on. And I just want you to take it in, think about it, and then we're going to share communion together. And so what stood out in my prep this week was this whole concept of irony. Irony. Irony is an outcome of events contrary to what was or might have been expected. An outcome of events contrary to what was or might have been expected. So we're going to look at several uh, stages or points on the, on the journey to Jesus' death that have this deep irony to them, where things aren't what you think, they're not what you expected, or we're even going to see there a reversal, or in a great contrast to what it appeared was happening. So we're going to show you, well, I've got five or six of them here I'm going to show you. And the end of them all, this is what I'm hoping we'll see, that Jesus' suffering and death ironically demonstrate he's Savior and Lord. Because typically someone who suffers and dies, it demonstrates you've defeated them. Right? It demonstrates that they've, they've lost, that they're weak. And we're going to see this great irony, this great reversal, that things are actually different than what we thought. So we're going to start in the garden. I'm going to be following through in the book of Mark tonight. If you want to look along, you can take out one of the Bibles there in the rack in front of you. At the beginning of the month, we threw out an Easter reading challenge to read a chapter of Mark a day. So today would have been day 15 and just getting us into the Easter story. So I thought I would stay in Mark and start in the garden scene. So we're starting Mark chapter 14, verse 26. So there'll be a little, more, uh, a little bit more reading than we normally do in a message but again, it's kind of a reflection. I want you to reflect. I want you to hear the events and then look at several ironies that unfold. So we're in Mark chapter 14, verse 26. The disciples have just, with Jesus, celebrated a Passover meal together. And, they, uh, and Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, which we'll come back to. And then they head out. So in Mark fourteen twenty-six, it says, And when they had sung a hymn... They went out to the Mount of Olives, so they completed their mealtime. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. How about that boldness? How about that bravery? They might. I don't know what these guys' problem. I'm with you. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Boy, there's a kind of cut your legs out, right? But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So we've got, we are with you 100%, probably even insulted that Jesus would say something like that to him. Verse 32, and they went 
to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Imagine that. He's sorrowful to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible for you, sorry, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. The Abba there is a very endearing daddy, right? Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Can you just get to the depth of what he's feeling, the weight that's building on him, what he's anticipating that he's going to do? And he's even saying, even though he's known the whole time he's on earth and he completely knows his mission to the cross, when the weight of it starts settling in, saying, boy, if there's another way. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So what happened to the, to the bravado? Here's our first irony or contrast. Jesus is filled with sorrow, and he pours out his soul in prayer. The disciples are filled with food, and they sleep through the prayer. Right? They just had a huge meal. And so Jesus is he's already on his own, right? Just moments before, you'll never we'll never leave you. We'll go to death for you after my nap, right? They can't hold their eyes open. They can't you'd think they would see the distress on him. They're with him every day for 3 years, right? They were with him. They know what he's like. You'd think they might be in tune when he's saying you're going to be scattered and yet here he is alone suffering in prayer and even the ones who promised to go with him unto death are asleep so that's the first one now this is really interesting how mark lays this out i never noticed this until this week Uh, if you look there's side by side trials of jesus and peter i never saw it this way give credit to a guy named raymond brown for pointing this out There's side-by-side trials. If you look in 14, verse 43, it says, They led Jesus to the high priest. So Judas has come, and Jesus has been arrested. And they led him to the high priest, and the chief priests and the elders and scribes together. So that's verse, oh, I jumped to 53. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. 1453, they lead Jesus to the high priest, but notice the very next verse, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. They're going to the same place. So we're going to have a trial inside 
the high priest, and we're going to have a trial outside at the campfire. So Mark laid those verses one after another. They're both at the same place, and their side-by-side trials are going to go on. Of Jesus inside, Peter outside. So jump to verse uh, 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. For a death sentence in Jewish law, you needed two or three witnesses. So they could not get two or three witnesses to say the same thing. And the high priest stood up in the midst probably quite frustrated here, and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. You know, when you're accused, don't you want to free yourself? No, that's not what I said. Don't you immediately come to your defense? And Jesus sits quiet. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He's saying, I'm the one of Daniel 7. I'm the one seated next to Yahweh. And coming with the clouds is an image of coming with judgment. When clouds appear in prophetic writing in the Old Testament, it means God's coming in judgment. He's coming with authority. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. So that's, I'm going to hold that. I'm not going to read verse 65 yet. So that's Jesus' trial inside, right? They can't come up with testimony, but the one thing he says, they decide is blasphemy. So jump to 65, and you see Peter's trial, right? We have Jesus' trial going on inside, you go out to the campfire, Peter's trial. So this is verse uh, 65. And Peter was below in the courtyard. And one of the servant servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Right? So he's being accused. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to him, say to the bystanders, This man's one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Imagine that moment. So let's look at these side-by-side trials. Jesus is condemned for speaking the truth. Peter is saved by telling lies. You see that? Jesus says one thing... (laughs) And it's the only thing that's true. Like they come up with all these lies about him and Jesus speaks one thing. He says his identity is the son of man. 
He says that someday they will see him in judgment, coming with the clouds of heaven because they have rejected him. The one true statement gets him condemned. Peter is saved by telling lies. But then it all hits him. Where was the bravado? Where was the I'll die with you? Where was the I don't care what happens to them, I'll be with you. So there's great irony that the condemnation is because of the truth. All right, now we have the mockings. Or you can even say the beatings. I skipped this. But there's two beatings that happen and for two different reasons that Mark shows us. So if you go back to Mark 14, verse 65, I skipped this. So right after the high priest, he's with, so this is with Jewish high priests, Jewish rulers that have just condemned him. I want you to notice what they're beating him for. If you look in verse 65, it says, And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. So they're mocking him as a false prophet, right? Prophesy, who hit you? Tell us something from God. So he's being mocked as a prophet or as a false prophet. But then I want you to see there's another one. He gets on trial. He switches over to the Roman trial. So they take him after they beat him up and mock him. Now they take him to Pilate because the Jews don't have authority to do death, uh, death sentences. So we're going to jump over to Mark 15, 1 to 5. And I want you to see what the Romans do to him. Mark 15, 1 to 5. He says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. Everyone. All the leaders. Did you get that? (laughs) Chief priests and the elders and the scribe and the whole council is the Sanhedrin. All All the big wigs are in on this. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. He's the Roman governor. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Notice his concern. He doesn't care a thing about, are you a prophet? Are you the son of God? That's not on his concern, right? He's worried about uh, political things. Are you a threat to Caesar? Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. So jump down to verse 15, and I want you to see uh, what they mock him, what they beat him for. Verse 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, so that's flogging, that's being whipped with a whip of multiple cords with bone and sharp rock. He delivered him over to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. Let's get all the guys involved. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. So there's two different beatings and mockings going on. He's mocked as a prophet, but you know while that's happening, the prophecy he made is actually coming true. They said, prophesy for us. 
The moment they're beating him and prophesy, as a, mocking him as a prophet, his prophecy that Peter would deny him three times has <laughs> just come true. It's not ironic. So the, the Jews are mocking him and beating him as a prophet, and it's coming true. The Romans mock him as a king, right? You're no, what kind of king are you? We'll put a purple on you. You're no Caesar. They thought very little of the Jews. Oh, you're a king of the Jews? What's that mean? So they're mocking him as a king, and this process, he's actually becoming the king of all kings. We see that in Philippians. Philippians 2, it says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. They think he's just some puny nobody and all are going to bow. The fact that he's suffering that is demonstrating that he's the king of kings. So he's mocked as a prophet while his prophecies are coming true. He's mocked as a king while he's being exalted above all kings. I want you to look when he's on the cross. He's crucified on the cross. And again, there's mocking now by bystanders, the crowd. So we'll go to Mark 15, verse 24 for that. Mark 15, verse 24. It says, and they crucified him. So let that sink in. Nailed his wrists and his ankles to wood and propped him up. They crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. So the very last things in his possession has been stripped from him and gambled away. And it was the third hour, nine in the morning, it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see him and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Look at these ironies here. They mocked him that he will destroy the temple or rebuild the temple in three days. Jesus' resurrected body is our temple. They went to a temple to access God, a physical building. We go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our access. So the very thing they're mocking is the very thing he's doing. He's going to be raised on the third day and be our access, be our point where we go to God for purification, for connection. Jesus is our temple. And then they're mocking, save yourself. Get off the cross. But Jesus gave himself so that we could be saved. That was the whole point. He died in our place. So the very thing they're asking him to do would have reversed what he was doing. The fact that he stayed on the cross brings us salvation. I'll show you one more of these ironies here. Jesus' own cry from the cross. His own cry. So go to 1533. And when the sixth hour had come, so that's noon, when the sixth hour had come, 
There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, so we're at three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice there he didn't say my father, my God. He's quoting Psalm 22 there. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. I didn't even point this one out, but John the Baptist is Elijah. They already killed him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. How about this irony? The whole time Jesus was on earth, he silenced the demons. They would run up to him and say, they would cry out, you are the son of God, what do you have to do with us? And he would say, be quiet. Here on the cross, Jesus goes silent, crying out in a lonely death. He dies alone, forsaken, condemned. The one with all the authority, the one that could silence even the demons, himself goes silent in the grave. So Jesus' suffering and death ironically demonstrates he is Savior and Lord. He was the only one completely trusting the Father in that garden. Right? He was the only one. Everyone else is asleep. He was the only one telling the truth in a trial and yet he's condemned, right? He's the only prophet that can speak, and they condemn him. He's the, the true king, and yet they mock him, right? He's on the cross doing the very thing they're telling him to stop. And then the one with all the authority, even over every demon, dies for us. Because he loves us. So I want to go back to what, the way he started that night. He started at a meal. And he said, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new. In the kingdom of God. We're still waiting to share that communion, that cup with the Lord. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to open these elements up. And we've got three songs here that we're going to sing. I just want this to be a time where you pray. Or you thank the Lord. We worship the Lord. You might even just be tearful about it. When you just see what he went through for us. And then this is a a come when you're ready. So I'm just going to. Spread things out on the table, and sometime during these next three songs, come on up and take the elements and take them back. If you're someone who you can't get here, if someone next to you could bring it or wave at me, and I'll bring something to you. But I just want this to be a moment where you're reflecting, 